0: Well, welcome once again to A Voice in the Distance Ministries, as it's always a pleasure to be doing what I'm doing. It's a pleasure to have you if you're listening, and I pray that again that the Lord will continue to speak to you and edify you in every way. You know, we're getting close to the end of, of the Gospel of Luke. And, of course, there's always a sense of bittersweetness when it comes to finishing a book, you know. I mean, there's always this sense of excitement and this sense of, of continual learning, continual knowledge, continual growth. And then you, you kind of feel like, okay, we're getting to the end, and then that, what do we do next? But the beauty is, is the next thing coming is just as good. And the next thing coming is something completely different because the Word of God is the most diverse, the most effective book that you will ever read. We call it the Word of God because it's exactly what it is. But when you look at it in its entirety, I see the Word of God first and foremost. But I also see the hand of God. I see the mind of God, the heart of God the likes of God, the dislikes of God, the laws of God. He's all, he's all over the place in here. And, and so, I'm excited, always excited to get to somewhere new. And so, we're going to be finishing up chapter 22 in the part 2 series as we get close to the end. Um, we're looking at, uh, the very well-known uh, situations here that are coming to the time where Jesus is arrested. But before he was arrested, uh, you know, we got to see so much. We got to see, again, some last um, some last uh, teachings and some last actions of him and so on and so forth. And, and so the Lord predicted all these things to come. And, and then we see it happen. We see it happen in this chapter in this particular part of the chapter they already met in the upper room he they had their uh they had the last supper together where communion was was created we we've seen that where he exposed the fact that Judas Iscariot will be the betrayer we see where he's he's um He's exhorting them with, uh, with uh, supplies for the road and so on and so forth on, on how to, on how to handle that in the form of their missionary work. And then we also seen how he actually, (laughs) he actually had to correct his own guys when they were arguing amongst themselves on who was going to be the greatest of them all. Right towards the very end. And and so one has to think to themselves, like, gosh, was three years enough? (laughs) Well, one day with the Lord is more than than enough. But, uh, you know, again, these guys had three years with the Lord on earth. And, And so I think to myself, what a blessing that was for them. Thank God for that because their work continued. And so does our work. Our work continues as well through him. And again, my pleasure is always to be doing what I'm doing because I, I'd never envisioned myself doing such a thing, which I know is from Him. And and I'm just so blessed to be doing this as my calling. And and, and this calling has become a passion. The Lord has become a passion because we are so fixated on certain people. We become fixated on... on Maybe friends we we might be fixated on a on a public figure we we develop a fan base to to at times an obsession of even stalking that particular fa- uh, that particular person that you 're a fan of but yet, we all want to be loved we all want to be appreciated we all want to be cared for, and there wasn 't anyone on the face of this earth that will care for you exhort you or love you as much as Christ Jesus. So if we want to be obsessed with anything, if we want to be obsessed with anyone, be obsessed with the Lord, be obsessed with his word. Because he has, I guess what we could call an obsession for us. God is obsessed with us. He loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross for our transgressions. He loves us so much that he that he's watching every move with fascination, just like uh, just like watching your newborn child walk for the first time, and then that sense of excitement is, is in in the eyes of that parent. And that's what the Lord has for us. You know, He's always watching us with this sense of excitement, with this sense of of. What are they going to do now? (laughs) Even though he knows what we're going to do, but you know, there's this, uh, there's this sense of like that that we have with our own, uh, with our own children. And I've always said, I've always truly believed that, as we were made in the image of God, we were created in a lot of things in the way He thinks too. Because I've always said, I believe very strongly that He gave us children so that way we could understand where He comes from a little more. And so when we think of our when we think of our children, we want the best for them, and we want to and we want to do the best and give them the best and That's what our Lord did. He gave us the best he he gave us the his only begotten son to die for us and to give us a place in heaven but while he he was doing that, he also uh, you know allowed him to come down here to earth to live amongst us to do the things that he did in order to show us who he was and I will continue to make that known with such excitement and joy because The more and more I've studied his word, the more and more obsessed I've become with him. And how could you not? And I want you to become that way too as soon as we finish this chapter of 22 in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be starting off in verse 39. And we get to that point to where they're in the garden. And so for 39 through 46, it says, Now coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, that was Christ Jesus, as he was accustomed. And his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. And then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. So we're looking at, again, the writings in Luke's gospel. You know, he was very specific on certain events as he was the only one. Um, to actually record the fact that the Lord was sweating drops of blood. And the fact that he was uh, Luke was a physician, Luke would understand the reasons. I've actually heard other doctors uh, speak of this as well. It was the agonizing stress of knowing what was to come. It, it was mentally unbearable, right? Father, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And we have to keep in mind that Jesus was not only taking the worst beating in the existence of mankind, but he was also taking the sins of the world upon himself, which he had no sin. He never knew sin. So in his final hours before being taken, he was in his favorite spot, which was the Mount of Olives. It was just a little bit east of Jerusalem. And he was always there in prayer. It was a place he went to often to pray. And in that time, he realized what was to come. Now many ask, why would Jesus ask that, the the cup be taken from him? Well, I mean, there's three aspects that could be seen. First, The first aspect was the physical torture he'd go through. The second one was the sins of the world are now being cast upon him. But the actual worst, the, the worst of it all, was the temporary separation from God that he would have to do in order for the world's sins to be forgiven. Separation from God is 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 like the form of hell. And so for the Lord, that separation from God was the worst part of it all. He never ran. If, if it were anyone else, they would have tried to pull a Jonah, you know, and, and, and they would have jumped on the first ship to get as far away as possible. Like, But like Jonah, there was no escaping the plan of God. The Lord accepted the will of God and the Lord Jesus was willing to do what he was set out to do in dying for the world. But unfortunately, you know, the disciples like Jonah, they too, you know, Jonah fell asleep when trouble was coming, you know, and by the discernment of God, he sent his heavenly servants and the angels to minister to Christ. And as he woke the disciples, he, he, he made known the importance of prayer and to do so not to fall into temptation and that could be the temptation of denial, such as what Peter did, the temptation of fleeing such as what Jonah did when called by God, and most of all the temptation of going back to the world and leaving Christ as as countless numbers have and continue to do to this day, and though uh, you know throughout the Gospel of Luke, we have seen that he made known the many actions of the Lord and his works, his miracles, and love for all who came to him. But also a lot from the prayer life of the Lord. We've witnessed so much of his prayer life. And he was always praying somewhere. And we can see the importance of what was going on here. You know as they fell asleep. And then the reaction of Christ when he had seen them. And I have to say you know are, are we falling asleep as the time goes on. He calls us to pray without ceasing. And that means through the trials. And as well as throughout the quiet times in life. But when we're not praying through the hard times, uh, that is definitely a concern. Why? Because to see a lack of prayer during quiet time is common, unfortunately. But when when we know the fires of life are near and we do not seek the hand of God, then it is a sign of separation from God. So to be asleep was a sign of uh, of the lack of devotion. But the Lord was not lacking in concern for them. See, the instruction was given, the instruction given was for their sake. And for the sake of their future as followers of Christ, he gave them an important lesson right at the very end of the most difficult time. The persistence of prayer to keep from temptation and falling away. So let's take a look at verse 47 to 53. And it says, And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, "Permit even this." And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, "Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your dark, is your hour and your power and the power of darkness." Again, Luke gives precise description of the event of the man's uh, right ear being cut off, uh, but he left out the name of who did it, perhaps by graciousness. You know, we look in John's Gospel. He made it known that Peter was the one who cut off the ear, but also made known that that Christ said to Peter that, Peter, whoever lives by the sword shall die by the sword, as he went and put the man's back ear on with perfect healing, just as it was. So we take Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples who was paid about a month's wages to lead the soldiers to the location of Christ and did the ultimate insult by giving him a kiss in the form of a loving, respectable greeting. Very common, even to this day in that region. And in the other gospels it stated also that what Judas did was he kept kissing him because Judas said that the one, who's, uh, the one who I'm going to go up to and kiss is the one you want to take. So Judas walks up to him and he starts kissing him over and over, right? To the point to where Judas, I mean, uh, to where Jesus said, Stop kissing me, Judas, stop kissing me. It's kind of like uh, the feeling of saying, Judas, stop stabbing me. (laughs) And now I said before that Judas was called the son of perdition in the meaning of damnation. I, I made known that Jesus predicted in the Last Supper that the betrayer is here and will dip his bread with me in the cup. And as soon as that happened, Satan entered Judas, and then Jesus says, do what you're going to do and do it quickly, and Judas fled into the night. So in this event, it was exactly to go down the way God intended it. They avoided doing it in the temple and and causing a scene. But even during that, uh, that time of the arrest in the garden, the Lord was able to still show his disciples and the officials his power. See what Judas did was heinous, and you know. In fact, it's a, it's kind of funny in New Zealand they have a particular breed of of a goat called a Judas goat. And if you ever noticed, um, you know a lot of people are named uh, a lot of names come from the Bible. I've never met somebody in our modern day named Judas, and we've also uh, we've also uh, heard the term of the separation between the sheep and the goat. But in New Zealand, New Zealand they they bread what was called a judas goat they take a male goat that has been castrated and, and this goat has been trained to dwell amongst the lambs and then they, this goat eventually helps lead them to uh, to food and water okay so this this goat is trained to dwell amongst the lambs to lead them as, uh, to uh, food and water as a trusted friend and, and New Zealand produces about 30 to 40 million lambs a year to the supermarkets Because this goat leads them into a slaughter truck And from what I've heard, for the more advanced uh, uses, a conveyor belt um, they, they actually walk on It leads them into a machine that kills them The goat stands on the belt They follow the goat And then the goat steps off the belt As the sheep end up falling into the machine one by one to be killed so it's amazing that the name of Judas is used in the form of a goat. And one that is false amongst the sheep. In our day, in our day it kind of fits. But again, in the other Gospels, it's it stated that when they asked the Lord, when those, when those soldiers and those officials walked up to Jesus and said, if he was Jesus, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am. The Roman soldiers all fell backwards. And and he displayed his power. His healing the ear of the official was perfect in God's timing because even in the that hour of trial, Christ still showed the world who he was. See, no one touched these Roman soldiers. All he had to say was, I am, and they all fell backwards. And the amazing thing is, you you couldn't be a Roman soldier if you were small, if you were weak in stature. And then on top of it, they were, they were trained and, and they wore shoes to withstand force to stay on their feet. Well, that alone should have said something when he simply spoke that, it, you know, it, it should have said something when he placed the ear back on the man without the help of Luke, the physician. When he spoke and they fell, when he, when he healed the man right there on the spot, that should have said something. But the Lord, the Lord was faithful and obedient to the call. And he says, your hour and the power of darkness, he said, was made known that they were the appointed ones for the time to come. It was their hour, not the Lord's. And one would have to wonder what they thought when they actually took him away. Uh, Let's look at 54 to 62. And then having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. And now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat amongst them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, woman, I do not know him. And after a while, another saw him and said, you also are of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and then remembered the word of the Lord, how he would said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. So Peter was, I'm sorry, the Lord was taken immediately to the high priest house in the middle of the night, obviously in a hurry to perform the execution before the Sabbath and get on with the Passover celebration. And Peter, being concerned, obviously followed closely. But this was again the hand of God moving Peter to fulfill what Christ predicted. Jesus made known that he would deny him three times and then he'd hear the rooster crow. After being told this, Peter argued and said, I, you know, he argued with Christ saying, I, I will never do such a thing. I will go to the grave with you if it comes down to that. Well, it came down and the Lord was right as always. Uh, this was interesting in timing with the pr- uh, prediction because he was taken in the middle of the night and Peter was warming himself near a fire and right after the third denial, a rooster crowed. Now, if you know anything about roosters, they crow when the sun rises, not in the middle of the night. So for years, I will say this, for years, you know, preachers would really nail Peter for the things that happened. But if we can really reflect on ourselves, we can see that, that no one is any better. What happened was tragic and embarrassing, but it was also life-changing for Peter because for uh, for some for some of the uh, some form of brokenness was the remedy needed for change and growth. So by this, Peter's experience in the next few hours would change his life. His following from a distance will be now closer. It'll be closer from a uh, to a half-hearted follower to a repentant disciple is what is usable to build the church of Christ. See, Luke made known that after Jesus witnessed this, that he looked Peter in the eyes as they took him. And we look at Matthew chapter 26. It says that Peter started to swear and cuss after they said, you know, you're one of them. And and so Matthew stated that Peter started cursing at them. Right at the third time, he started to curse. And it was said, if you could put yourself in the sandals of Peter that night to look at the Lord's face after he witnessed you know, you deny him and swear profanity toward it, you can imagine the feeling, especially if you did the same thing to someone close to you and they witnessed you do it. See, Peter wept bitterly as he should because Jesus was his Lord, his Messiah, and even a dear friend as Jesus called himself that. And I think that Peter taught us a valuable lesson to never be overconfident and most of all, never be self-sufficient. Peter wept, and it was the best thing for him. If he didn't, then that would uh, that would raise some spiritual concern. The Lord looked at Peter and probably knew the inner pain that he would feel. See, we all fail him at times, but he uses those who recognize their failure. Because the Lord is the only one I know who can hit a bullseye with a crooked stick. And the Lord can use a crooked stick because shepherds used a crooked staff to lead sheep going astray when they got off course. And I myself am thankful for this, for this account because it reminds me of who we are and who Christ is. We are good at sinning, but he is a better savior than we are sinners. And though Jesus loves us the way we are, he loves us too much to leave us this way because if if this did not come down, we would not have seen the profound wisdom and powerful use of Peter. And I say that because I have taught the books that he wrote a couple times. Let's see what else happens here in verse 63. Now the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? In many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into their council, saying, If you are the, uh, the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, will by no means believe. You will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. And then they all said, Are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, You rightly say that I am. And they said, What further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Well, the leaders heard it from the mouth of Christ on who He was in His relation to on His relation uh, to God and His deity. You know, many today still argue the deity of Christ. Some accept that He is. Some accept that He's the Son of God, and others do not. Some accept His deity; others deny it. And some who claim to be of Christ deny the deity, yet He Himself claims it. So the religious leaders said, well, we heard it from his mouth, and that's good enough. See, for them, it was good enough to crucify him. But as for us, it is good enough to say that he is who he said he is. I believe it was C.S. Lewis who said that, well, when it comes to who Christ said he was in the form of his deity, he said that Christ was either a liar, he was a lunatic, or he was exactly who he said he was in his claim. Now, I don't know about some out there, but I'm going with the, he is exactly who he said he was. And, and according to the Jewish laws, it was that there had to be two or more witnesses with evidence, and, and the witnesses could not be in contact with each other uh, or in cahoots with one another. Well, they were breaking many of their own laws during, during the reasons for crucifixion. But who can deny the claim of which he was when thousands witnessed his deity, his power and his abilities as the son of God? Jesus, he knew their, he knew their minds and hearts. If I say who I am, you'll deny it anyway. And if I will ask you, you know, you will stay quiet because they will put themselves at risk by claiming who he was. So, uh, like he told Judas, do what you're going to do and do it quickly. It was also Jewish law that if someone was a false witness against somebody, they were to be executed. So they had to dance around their own words. The bottom line is Jesus did this for us. He did this willing and able. He was willing. He was able. Because a sacrifice in the Old Testament, a sacrifice had to be without blemish and flaws. It had to be an, it was an innocent animal, a lamb used for sacrifice. But the difference was he, he was willing because a lamb had no idea why it was being put on an altar. If the lamb knew or had the intelligence to know, it, it would not be willing, but yet Christ was. The interrogation and the insults was the beginning stage of the worse. They, they put a cloth over his head and they took turns punching him and mocking him to prophesy who did it. And, and the worse is yet to come. But what these soldiers who were hitting him didn't realize that they wouldn't want that happening to them. You know, they could dish it out, but no one could take it. But the one who they were hitting was the one that would have stopped someone from harming them. They they definitely did not realize that the one who they were hitting was there to die for them just as much as any of us. And reading and meditating on this event is a hard pill to swallow. You know, the beating of innocence, the torture of a loving Savior. And to know the Jewish laws and read about it, how it went down, should make us angry. But, you know, it all happened accordingly. And I hope that people would would read how it went down and be angry because it shows that we believe in the righteousness and the just ways of God. But more than anything, that we would see the love and sacrifice of what he was willing to do for us, for you, for me, for the world. There was no mistake on what happened here. There was no accident. There was no incident. It was the greatest gift given to mankind, so that way we had a a way to him in heaven. He just asks to believe in him and receive him in a personal relationship. That was what it all came down to. And so, not much time. He lived to be 33 years old, but only three years in public ministry. But in that three years, he did more than anyone in the world could do put together. Even in John's gospel, it said that he did, he did so much that we couldn't fit it in a book. So how could we not want... To be a part of someone like that. He wants, he wants us. He wants everyone. But the question is, is how much do you want him? I've said it before, I'll continue to repeat. There is always a need. Everybody needs the Lord. Everybody needs his love and salvation. But how much of a want is there? Is the question. Do you want the Lord? Do you want to be forgiven? Do you want a place in heaven? Well, he gave us a place by doing what he did. If you believe that, then you can receive that. And by doing so, you could say a simple prayer with me in order to receive him as Lord, Savior, and Father. So if you feel led by the power of the Holy Spirit... And by the belief of everything you've just heard. Repeat this prayer of salvation after me. Dear God. Please forgive me. Please forgive me of all of my sins. As I confess to you Lord that I am a sinner. Please cleanse me of all of my sins. And receive me Lord. Into your kingdom when my time comes. As Lord as I now receive you. You into my heart as both my Lord and my Savior, as my Father. For, Father, I love you and I thank you for dying for me on the cross. And, Jesus, I receive you now as a child of yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, may God bless you and keep you always. And our next sermon will be both a combination of the death and resurrection. So I pray that you'll be there to follow along because, again, it just keeps getting better and better. Everything about the Word, everything about the Lord just keeps getting better. But we want to be able to say that we got to experience it ourselves by walking with Him and talking with Him daily. So I pray that you did this first and from now on... You'll be continued to be watered by the Holy Spirit and by His Word. God bless you.